0: Good morning, church. You're the brave ones. It's actually not that bad out there anymore, so uh, you're not that brave. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Let's start this morning with Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. It says, understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love On those who love him and obey his commands. Let's sing to this great God. I
1: met I was breathing but not alive And all my failures I tried My name, and I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness into Your glorious day. You called my name, and I ran out of that grave, out of the dark. Do your glorious name
0: Sing to him. I
1: needed rescue, my sin was heavy. But chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter, I was an orphan. Now you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healer. To your glorious day, you call my name, and I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, into your glorious day. God, we
0: praise you. Thank you, Lord, for, for redeeming us, calling us out of the grave. How we love you and we praise you this morning. Hey, church, let's just, you know, this is a a, a little bit more of an unusual Sunday. You know, we've had a, a week of snow. Everyone was shut in for a week. I know many of you didn't even have water for a couple days. I didn't, have, I didn't even have water for a couple days at my house. So, you know, this morning I am like more resolute than ever to praise Him, just because He brought us through this, you know, I had water this morning, you know, and He's so good to me, He's so good to us, and that's why I wanted to start in Deuteronomy, because He lavishes His love on those who love Him. You know, I've, I've been sick for the last three weeks. I I can't even get through most of my sentences without coughing. So, you know, when you get sick, you go through a darker time and you're just like, God, please just just heal me. But over and over, He reminded me that He lavishes His love upon those who love Him. Because He is faithful and He is true. He is just. So as we enter into this time, you want to be here. You You didn't have to come. You wanted to be here. So let's really worship our God. Let's Let's be resolute. Let's be let's be adamant about I will praise you. I will worship you even when I don't feel like I want to. But before we do that, I want you to move around the room. Welcome each other. Say hello. Say good morning. Let's be a friendly church today.
2: in church. My name's J.C. Russell.
3: And I'm Leah Bergantz.
2: Hey, Leah. What do you call, what do you call all of, when a, a bunch of lovely people come to church in the middle of a snowstorm?
3: I don't know. What, what do you call them?
2: You call it an icebreaker.
3: <laughs> I would have called them the, the frozen chosen. Oh, Stole that from Jacob,
2: where is he? He doesn't need credit, he doesn't need credit. Well hey everybody, welcome, we've got a great service planned for you today. Uh, If you've got that worship guide, would you grab that? You can uh, see the schedule that we've got planned for you, we've got some more songs, Trevor's got a a great message, Uh, and you can also see some events that we have coming up in there.
3: Yeah, so some exciting events that we have are, uh, we're going to the Memphis Hustle Game. So bring your kiddos. It'll be a fun night of fellowship and basketball. Um, You can find that date in your worship guide. And then um, I know it's hard to think about summer right now, but just imagine (laughs) summer, sunshine, warm, and go ahead and register your kiddos for uh, LFR this summer. So that can be found on our website and also in the worship guide. And uh, if you're new here, we'd love for you to fill out some uh, information on the welcome card. You don't have to put anything, uh, you know, Feel comfortable putting on there. We'd love for you to put a prayer request at the minimum. Our staff and elders pray over those every week. So we'd love to pray for you.
2: Yeah, Amen. Hey, if you're new, uh, you can also fill this out. Just mark the "I'm new here" card. Uh, you can, or you can also go see the new here kiosk we have in the lobby. We've got a gift for you. We'd love to give that to you. Uh, we've also got a Connect group that meets right after this service. Uh, you're going to find some friendly people, an awesome Bible study. and You're going to get to know a little bit more about GCC. So. If you have your card, just spark get to know people and uh, turn that into the box. We'd love to get you connected.
3: And feel free to uh, work through those steps at your own pace. Um, we'd love for you to jump right into the connect group, but if you're not ready for that, just, you know, we'd love to um, send you some information or have a phone call with you uh, over the week. Um, next, as we move into the offering, we want to encourage everyone again to fill out that uh, welcome card. That's our way of knowing you were here. And, again, we'd love to pray for you. Um, and now we'll move into the offering, and Kyle will lead us in that.
4: Hey, good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here this morning. I'm Kyle. I'm, I am direct of missions here. And as I get ready to set up the offering, and before the guys come forward, I just want to remind you of a couple of things. This is Sanctity of Life Sunday. And uh, here of late, the last several years, we have always invited Life Choices to come and speak with us. That's one of the mission, uh, mission uh, entities that we support. Uh, and what we seek to do with them is just give you an open look at where your mission dollars go and the things that you support and what, what they go to. And if you were to go to the Life Choices website or even hear uh, the representative to speak, what you would come to the conclusion is is that they believe the same things we believe. We believe that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. And life is not a choice. Uh, there's no choice about this. This is the sovereignty of God. He has made us fearfully and wonderfully, and we support every bit of that. And we want you to know that. So that's a, what we strive to do with that is just give you an open look at that. They will, there will be a Makeup Sunday where Life Choices will be back, and that's March the 3rd. And then, but before that, we'll give you another open look at one of the mission uh, partners that we support, and that's Harvest Evangelistic Association. Greg McClanahan, McClanahan and his wife Michelle will be here February the 4th, and you'll just enjoy Greg. You'll get to hear all about what's going on. Uh, you'll see uh, how they keep up with uh, with those that they partner with, uh, and all the churches they planted, all the souls they've saved. Or that God has saved through their ministry. It's just an amazing ministry. So you'll get a good open look at where your money goes. So, guys, if you will, come forward and we'll get ready to do the offering. And we just want to again say thank you for being here, uh, braving the cold, uh, and it's going to be a great Sunday.
0: Let's stand and enter into another time of worship through song. We're going to praise the name of Jesus.
1: There is a truth older than the ages. There is a promise of things yet to come. There is one born for our salvation Jesus There is a light that overwhelms the darkness There is a kingdom that forever reigns There is freedom From the chains that bind us Jesus, oh Jesus Who walks on the water Who speaks to the sea Who stands in the fire beside me He roars like a lion He bled as a lamb there is a name I call in times of trouble there is a song that comforts in the night there is a voice that calms the storm that rages Savior there is power in your name you're my rock and my Redeemer Savior, there is power in your name, because you're my rock and my Redeemer, there is power in your name.
0: Go back and sing that bridge again.
1: Messiah, my Savior, there is power in your name. Because you're my rock and my redeemer, there is power in your name your name.
0: Lord Jesus, we, we believe that. We know there's power in your name. We've seen the power that comes from your name in this very room. We're open to what you have to do today. You, we know that when your, your church gathers, you're pleased with that. So, Lord, just just fill this place with, with healing power, with resurrection power, God. Let the preaching of your word just come and just captivate our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. You all can have a seat.
5: We are about to participate in what the Bible calls the Lord's Supper. As members of Great Commission Church, we enjoy being reminded that Christ Jesus died for our sins. The Bible says, for the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible also says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. The Lord's Supper is an activity where we rejoice together, that we still believe in Jesus. We believe he is the one who helps us to keep loving God and loving each other. We proclaim He is alive and coming back one day. If you are a guest here today and share this saving faith in the Lord Jesus, we invite you to participate with us. If you are not a Christian or prefer to do this at your own local church, you can simply remain in your seat and observe how we do this. Unbaptized children can come to the table, but we ask that you withhold the elements and use this as a time to spark their questions and continue your gospel conversations with them. At this time, our ushers will release groups by rows.
6: All right, welcome to GCC. I have four items of housekeeping to take care of before we uh, get going. Well, there's going to be three texts of scripture I'm going to have you turn to in your Bible. So you can go ahead and start with Daniel chapter four. If you're new, we're in the middle of a a series and a and kind of an emphasis church-wide called 29 Days of Promise. And we printed out these devotional books. There's there's a simple, quick daily devotion for every day during the 29 days. We're only halfway through. It's not too late. These books are free. They're in the lobby. Just get that book on the way out if you don't have one and pick up with today's devotion, and we'll have uh, two more weeks of this. and want you to be involved. It looks just like that, and so 29 days of promise. Secondly, we know that I don't even know where the camera is. It's up there somewhere. We know that many of our members uh, stayed in today because of snow and ice and the treacherous travel and but you, were, you would have been here if it weren't for that. And if that's you, in fact, anybody watching by uh, online today, if you'll go in your web browser to gccob.com slash card, gccob.com slash card, and fill out a digital ministry card for us. Uh, we're, we're tracking some statistics that we're using to make decisions on for the future. And so we need those numbers. We need to know that you're with us today. And so that'd be a great way for us to minister to you because these ministry cards we have is for everybody uh, for our prayer ministry. We, we want to pray for you who are here. We want to pray for you that are at home online, gccob.com slash card. Uh, the, uh, the next thing is if all of my prophetic people, and you know who you are just by that phrase? And If I've been talking to you and you've been writing things down for Prophetic Ministry Sunday, I need to meet with you in between services. I'll be right down here after the prayer ministry. I know most of you are on the prayer team, but we'll be praying for people after the service. So after the prayer ministry ends, I'll be down here. I need to meet with you real quick for next week. So, prophetic team, see me after service. And then we need to pray for one of our brothers. Uh, you may know Austin Eldridge. He's on our praise and worship team, uh, he's a law enforcement officer. Uh, he had a had a tragic accident two or three years ago and it cost him his leg and he's got a prosthetic leg and he was working the other day and got out of his car to help so- help a stranded motorist and he had a fall and broke his hip and uh, so it's um, not good. Uh, he told me on the phone, and he goes, it's terrible, but it's not as bad as last time, but I'm back at the med and so he had surgery and I asked him if it would be okay if we stopped and prayed for him and you guys think that's a good idea. So we, we love Austin and Ashley and their little boy Truitt, and... The hits keep coming for them, but we're going we're gonna to pray that, that the Lord would take away his pain right where he lays in that hospital bed at Regional One right now. We're going to pray for his wife, Ashley. She's going through this again, that you, would just, you ladies pray for God to minister to her heart and her emotions, and we're going to pray for a little Truett. He's like two years old, but you know, mom and dad are not at home right now, and something's happened, and so he's probably afraid, and, and so it's just uh, one of those tragedies. But God is good, and God is near to the eldritches. So we're going to pray for them now. Let's bow together. Father, we, we don't really know what to say, and, uh, but we do confess your goodness, your mercy, your grace, and your truth. And we know that no one on earth loves Austin the way you do. And so we appeal to your love today, and we ask you to be close to our brother. God, I pray that the surgery worked. I pray there won't be any long-term damage. I pray that the outcome of this, that his prosthetic leg will still fit, um, that that won't have to go through that ordeal again. Um, God, I pray that you would cause his recovery to, to go at such a rate that he can get out of the med and go home. Lord, we, we turn our prayers to Ashley, and we pray for her today. We, we can't even touch the hem of the garment of what she's had to feel as a wife for three or four years. And so God, would you be near to our sister? God, would you reassure her and comfort her? And would you sit down next to her in her tears? And would you put your arms around her in her fear today? God, show yourself strong to Ashley Eldridge. And we pray for little Truett. God, that he would bounce back, that he wouldn't have memories of this that would scar him. And I pray, God, that he would just feel safe with his mom and his dad. Pray for all the Eldridges, all of Ashley's family. Um, Minister to this this precious family in our church today. Receive glory from it. And show show your mercy in Jesus' name. And a faithful church said, Amen. amen. All right. So, the Bible, Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 8, that the Holy Spirit will judge the world in sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And, and I read the other day a question, if the church never preaches about sin, how will the Holy Spirit have the opportunity to convict the world about it? Because in all of John's writings, the Gospel of John, the three letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation, all five of his writings in the New Testament, he uses the term world a lot And the church or Christians are never in that group. The world are unbelievers. So how will unbelievers be convicted of sin if the church avoids the subject? And so today, I picked a promise of God in the middle of our series to show his promise to us about our sins. And so I'm not going to be super specific today about things that are wrong and things that are evil But I want to talk about the concept and I want to show you the goodness of God. And so the first thing I want to tell you is that God is holy, which means he's different than us. It means he's set apart. It means there's a purity about him that we, just by being around him, if it weren't for his grace and his power, would just pollute him. He is holy and his holiness means that he hates evil. And he expresses that hatred of evil in at least two ways. Number one, he saves people from sin. He's a rescuer. Sin destroys us, sin dooms us, but God is good and he comes and he rescues us. So that's one way that he shows his hatred of evil. The second way after he saves people from sin is that he judges sin. He casts a sentence on it. He does something about it. He destroys it. God saves sinners and he saves from sin and then he judges sin. And so, here's what I want you to know. On one hand, you have salvation. God saves. On the other hand, you have judgment. God judges sin. They are two sides inseparable of the same point. So, his holiness on one side, his hatred of evil on the other. I'm going to give you two Charles Haddon Spurgeon quotes in this sermon today. One now, one at the end. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was the prince of preachers in London, England in the 1850s. And he said, you consider sin a mere trifle, scarcely worth thinking about, but God regards it as an evil and an accursed thing. Is it true that the church is the body of Jesus on earth? Yes or no? No. If that's the case, that that means we are meant to be both an agent of salvation on one hand and an agent of God's justice on the other. Salt and light. Salt preserves and light exposes. And for the most part, the modern church, at least the ones I've seen, the ones I've been in, with the solitary exception of this one that I know about, has lost this balanced perspective of salt and light, salvation and and the judgment and justice of God. And you know know what that's done? It has robbed us of our dynamic power to transform culture. If the church in America was strong, the political winds in America wouldn't be so chaotic. If the church in America preached from its pulpits and from their witness in the community that sin is bad and God is holy and he judges sin and you're gonna be held accountable by the God who made you and Jesus is the only remedy for it all, then boys wouldn't be playing against girls in girls' sports and dominating them and winning. Because that's insane and ridiculous. And our culture used to have a safety net. And the safety net was the church of the living God. And so now we don't even blush at immorality. We tiptoe around it. Am I wrong? Is this too much, too heavy? We have compromised with the world to such an extent that we're no longer the voice crying in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. Um, What happened to the prophetic voice of John the Baptist who would dare to confront King Herod and say, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. You see, when John the Baptist did that, it cost him his head. But it gained him the glory of God. And Let me say this. Jesus saves sinners from real sins. Let's say it another way. Jesus did not die for ideas according to the culture. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. Jesus did not die for ideas according to the culture. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. And did you know that sin at its very heart is irrational You see, when we consider all the sins that we do after we do them, after the fact, they never make sense. Why do we do that? Gosh, why did did it happen again? Hindsight always shows us all the ways of escape that God provided when we were being tempted and that we always disregarded. There is no coherent reason to rebel against God. You can't make it make sense. Even after all the details, all the context is known surrounding why we do what we do and all the things that people say to us and and all the letdowns that that we would use as excuses and reasons, we still go, it was unwise that I did that. It hurt somebody that I did that. So the reason I had you turn to Daniel chapter 4 is that King Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible in Daniel four, illustrates perfectly the irrationality of sin. Now I'm going to pick and choose some verses from Daniel four and tell you the story. I know it's in my Bible. So it's got a ribbon. Some there we go. Let me tell you who King Nebuchadnezzar was. He was the same king who indicted Daniel's three friends. Do you remember their names? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, their their Jewish names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And Daniel's three friends didn't bow to the the gold idol that Nebuchadnezzar, do you remember this? Nebuchadnezzar erected on the plain of Dura. And they played music because music causes people to worship. They played music and they said, when all the music's played, everybody bows down to the 80-foot gold statue. And everybody bowed down in Babylon except for three guys. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so King Nebuchadnezzar says, maybe I stuttered. Maybe he didn't understand what I was saying. We're we're going going to strike up the band one more time. We're going to play the music and you're going to get in line with everybody else. And you're you're going to worship my gold idol because this is what we do in our culture. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, well, we're not going to do that. And if you throw us into the fiery furnace, our God is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we fear his displeasure more than we fear yours. And so they, st- they throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace. They heated the thing up. Man, did anybody burn wood this week? I did it in the name of Jesus. It was awesome. Seven days, I burned trees and trees. And I've got this thing called a bellows. You know what the bellows is? The bellows pumps the air. And, and I got, I was like, man, I, I'm not working out this week. And so maybe I can do this faster. I'm doing the bellows as fast as I can. I'm making sparks. And that's what they did at the fiery furnace. They, 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 they heated it up so hot that the guards that threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace, they, they, it killed them. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go into the fire, and they start walking around, man. It's like, hey, you know, summertime down here. And then the Bible says there was one, a fourth man in the furnace. He, looks like, he looked like one of the sons of the gods. And we, we know who that probably is, yes? It's either Jesus or somebody, uh, one of his close associates. Anyway, somebody cool. If you're in a fiery furnace, do you care? Like, it's like, whoever this dude is, God sent him, and this is awesome. And out of the furnace they came. It was a miracle. The Bible says they didn't even smell like smoke and their eyebrows weren't even singed. And King Nebuchadnezzar saw that. Not only did he witness it, he wrote about it. In fact, he changed the law. And he said, from now on, we just give glory to the, to the God of Daniel and his friends. And I'm, I'm telling you this story to show you that sin is irrational, it doesn't make sense. It, it will, you'll do it regardless of, in spite of what your eyes have seen. Well, this was King Nebuchadnezzar. And considering the evidence that these three guys survived the fiery furnace, he writes an open letter, check this out, to all the earth. <laughs> because the known world at the time was under his rule. So he writes a letter to everybody. And Daniel chapter 4 is the letter, basically. In verses 2 and 3, we read this from the, from the pen of King Nebuchadnezzar. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. Hey, I'm going to write you a letter. I want you to know I saw some miracles, and you need to know about them. You need to know that, that, who the God is who did it. Now verse 3. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. At this point in Nebuchadnezzar's life, he's just had like the best devotional time he's ever had with God. He's seen a sign and a wonder. His faith is way up here. But remember, the Bible tells you that it's necessary for you to stoke the fires of your faith and that you can't do it alone, you actually need the gathering of the local church to help you. That we spur one another on to love and good deeds. And if you take a coal that's in the fire and move it a few inches away from it, in just a few minutes, it goes out. Nebuchadnezzar on top of the spiritual world at verse 3. How long will it last, though? Well, not long after this, the Lord... And it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in your Bible, the divine name, Yahweh, the God of heaven. The Lord sent Nebuchadnezzar a dream in the night. It's a dream that was vivid. He remembered the dream, the details of it. It troubled him. And he had a staff of dream interpreters. They're called the enchanters. None of his enchanters could interpret the dream. But there was one guy. One guy among the staff of Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel, the Israelite captive. And the verse says he called Daniel to interpret the dream because inside Daniel was the spirit of God. Remember, he's way up here. He thinks the God of heaven's awesome. And then he gets the dream. And here's the essence of the dream. In his dream, Nebuchadnezzar saw a tall tree like the tallest tree of all the trees. It was so tall it reached to the heavens. It was seen throughout the earth. Everything, including people and animals, were blessed by the shade and the fruit of the tree. And then an angel comes along and an angel speaks. And the angel says, chop down the tree. Chop the tree down, but leave the stump and the roots. Chop down the tree, Leave the stump and the roots. Let the stump become like the beasts of the field for a time. That's the dream. When Daniel heard the dream, he too was troubled. In fact, he said, oh no, not that dream. He was so troubled by the dream, he didn't want to tell Nebuchadnezzar the dream because the dream is bad news for Nebuchadnezzar. And he didn't want to be the one to tell a volatile leader the bad news. He discerned quickly that the dream that God had sent Nebuchadnezzar was a sentence of judgment. So he was at first reluctant to give the interpretation, but the king wouldn't let him off the hook. The king says, I know you can interpret the dream. You probably already know what it is. I can can handle it. And Daniel goes... Suspect of that, you got to tell me. You know what Daniel said? He said, oh, king, if only this dream was for your enemies and not for you. What was the interpretation of the dream? Well, the tree that was chopped down means that a very powerful king would, lo- would soon lose two things. He would lose his authority. He wouldn't be king anymore. And he would lose his ability to reason he wouldn't get to be with the humans anymore. That's the interpretation of the dream. Here's the sentence that would be carried out because of the dream's interpretation. Whoever that king was, that's gonna lose his authority and his ability to reason, he's gonna be insane for seven years, living outside with the animals as if he were undomesticated and uncivilized, and the Bible says he would be wet with the dew of heaven. Do you know the story? And how long would this king that would be cut down remain in this condition? Well, the verse says he would remain in this condition until he knows, quote, that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Now, that dream came right after King Nebuchadnezzar says, the God of heaven, he's the guy. It didn't come after a period of Nebuchadnezzar's rebellion and godlessness. It came after his godliness. Well, when would this happen? Well, Nebuchadnezzar had to sit with that dream for an entire year, which was long enough to forget the dream and not be troubled by it at all. We pick up the story, for my purposes in this sermon, at Daniel 4, 29 through 31. At the end of the 12 months, Nebuchadnezzar was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty. Compare Daniel 4.30 with Daniel 4.3. How great are Yahweh's signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. It only took him one year to forget. You see it? Then in verse 30, the king spoke saying, uh, verse 31, while the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. Now what was that king in the dream gonna lose? Two things, his authority and his ability to reason. In verse 31, he loses his authority. The kingdom has departed from you. In verse 33, he loses his reason. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like birds' claws. God saves from sin and he judges sin. And Nebuchadnezzar's judgment, we don't read of another one like it in all of scripture. This man's so powerful, this leader so effective, this man whose wrath was so fierce that he subdued the known world. And God says, you think you're big time? Why don't you go out and eat grass and grow your hair and your nails out like feathers and claws and come back and tell me again, Nebuchadnezzar, exactly how powerful are you? In the uh, Contemporary English Version, Proverbs 16, 18, pride leads to destruction and arrogance to downfall. And what I'm illustrating to you from the Bible is what God restores. Because I'm gonna get to our promise at the end of the sermon, which I'm one page away. But before we get there, I wanna, I'm gonna show you from the Bible two things that God restores when we sin and mess it all up. And the first thing that God restores from the story of Nebuchadnezzar is our sanity. God restore he, he he puts people's minds back together. And I know in a crowd this size there are people that have been suffering in your mind. You've been you've been humiliated by it. You've been trapped by it. You've thought I'm losing my mind. I I can't reason like I used to. It it might be chemically induced. It might be alcohol or drugs that's causing you this. It could be some kind of abuse that you've been a victim of from your past, but your brain and your ability to think and reason has been injured, has been uh, hurt, has been, in some cases, almost destroyed, and you've lost hope. And I'm showing you from the Bible that you haven't really lost all hope because God restores sanity. Let me get to it. Daniel 4:34 At the end of the time, 7 years, I Nebuchadnezzar lifted my eyes to heaven. That's the first and most important step. I lifted my eyes to heaven. My understanding returned to me. Do you see how he restores sanity? And I blessed the most high. And I praised and honored him who lives forever. The last time we, the the last verse where we read where King Nebuchadnezzar said anything, he was praising himself. But now, he's lifting his eyes to heaven and he's praising God for his dominion, everlasting dominion. His kingdom, generation to generation. And then if you look in verse 37 of Daniel 4, here's how he concluded this matter. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice. And look at this those who walk in pride, he's able to put down. And Nebuchadnezzar says, I know this by seven terrible years. God can put your mind back together. So he restores sanity. Another story, even more familiar than the story of the restoring of King Nebuchadnezzar is the story of the restoration in scriptures of Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. Now look, I preached a sermon or two on this back in the fall. I am going to take one section of that and remind everybody. But the essence of the story goes like this. Uh, a rebellious young man Longs to be free from all the authority structures that he grew up with, including his father, definitely his older brother, and even the village where he lived. He was ashamed of all of them. He demands his inheritance that he would get after his father died. He demands his inheritance in person from his father, who's alive and standing right in front of him. Just an absolute shameful act. His father reluctantly acquiesces and gives him and his older brother the inheritance early. So what happens? Well, this son, this prodigal son, hurries into the world. And he quickly squanders his fortune in immoral, godless living. And then, everything goes wrong. Spiritually, naturally, he hits rock bottom as a wandering Jewish man humiliating himself feeding pigs on a Gentile farm. So, hungry and ashamed, he resolves to go home and grovel for a job as a hired day laborer for his father. And that's what he decides to do, but there's no guarantee. We pick up the story as he's almost home, and his father's run down the road, run through the gauntlet of the, of the village who's about to cut him off in a ceremony. And he makes it to his son before anybody else can get there. And in verses 21 through 24, here's what we read. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father doesn't even talk to the son. He says to the servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. In the first story, God restores sanity. In the second story, God restores status. And he restores the son's status by giving him four things. He gives him a robe, he gives him a ring, he gives him sandals, and he gives him a party. All of those matter. Let me explain them to you. He said, bring the best robe. Well, the best robe in any closet in the house of a patriarchal father like this one in the first century ancient Near East, the best robe belongs to the dad. It belongs to him. He says, go get my finest and bring it to this Son of mine, the one that you are offended over, and put my robe on him. And when he puts his robe onto his wayward son, it restores him to full status in the family right back to where he was before he left not as a hired hand who doesn't live on the property and comes and works and gets paid wages. He gets his bedroom back. He gets his bathroom back. He gets access to the refrigerator. He is the father's son again. Bring the best robe. And who does it say that to? What's the purpose? When when you put the father's robe, you see, the village still respects the father. And when the son gets that robe, now all the village... Needs to accept the son and must accept the son. Then he said, put a ring on his finger. If this were 2024, we would say, give him my credit card. Go put his name as a signatory on my checking account. This ring is the signet ring. Now my son can transact business in the community and on my dime, he's fully entrusted with the household resources. And so the community has to transact business with him. And then he says, put sandals on his feet. This was a a clue for all the household servants. You see, the servants in the home, they didn't get to wear shoes. They had to go around barefooted. It marked where they were in the the, uh, organizational chart. You put sandals on his feet because all the servants have to know that They submit to him too. Or how I said it in the notes is, clarifies the status to the work staff because he has the true authority as a son. And then the last one, don't miss it. He could have just, the dad could have just said, family, it's time to have a party because our boy is back. Well, to do that, all you got to do is slaughter one goat. It's enough meat to feed the family and the staff. But the father says, bring me the fatted calf. Go get the big boy. Because the big boy, that's a dinner for 100 people. We're feeding the whole community tonight. We don't waste food. We don't, we don't barbecue meat and, not, and throw it out. We're gonna, we're gonna kill the fatted calf and every piece of meat will be eaten. So we're gonna invite the whole community to come help us. And the reason you do that is to reconcile the son to the whole community. Some of you think You've walked in the world, either publicly or privately, long enough that where you were with the Lord, you can never be there again. That you can kind of go halfway up the ladder and you can kind of be sort of gods. You can kind of belong to him, but not as much as like your pastor. I mean, you, you can't be as spiritual and you can't be as favored As the leaders in your church, your small group leader, you watch their lives. Man, they walk with God. They pray for you. They know the scriptures. You can never be what they are in relation to God. And the story of the prodigal son says, you don't know what you're talking about. You hadn't met our God then. Because see, when you repent and you lift your eyes to heaven and come back, he says, remember where you left from? Put you right back there. He restores sanity, and he restores status. Now our promise. The introduction to the book of Joel is God announcing to the nation who, who depends on agriculture. By the way, how many of you had just lovely experiences at grocery stores this week? <laughs> Listen to me. You need to thank truckers. You need to thank farmers. The food, they don't make the food at Amazon did you know that they don't make anything in Amazon it's a middleman and so the culture in the Bible was even more dependent on their farmers and on the people that produce and God says look you've been walking away from me following other gods and acting like I don't exist and I judge sin and here's my sentence you hate me. You you disrespect me. You disregard me. I'm going to send my army. My army is about this big, all the soldiers in them, about that big. But it's a swarm you can't count. It's my army of locusts, and they're going to eat your crops. And you're going to know that the false gods you've been worshiping are powerless to stop my army. And I'm going to bring you back to reality. Here's what it says, Joel 1, 3, and 4. Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. You need to make sure all of your children and grandchildren know what kind of God I am. Verse 4. What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. So God judges them in a way where they can't eat. They can't feed themselves. They can't trade with other nations. God brings their whole life that they were living apart from him to a screeching halt. But that's not where God leaves it. The promise is Joel 2.25. It's our 29 days of promise, promise today. He says, So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army, which I sent among you. It's my favorite promise in all the Old Testament. I'm gonna give you back the years the locust took from you when you rebelled against me and I brought my severe judgment and you repented and believed again and came home. I'm going to give you back the years the locust took from you. You know what that means? That it didn't just affect one crop. Years worth of them. This was a severe judgment. God got their attention. And the effects of the locust will be completely reversed. Here's that verse in the Good News Bible. I will give you back what you lost in the years when the swarms of locusts ate your crops. It was I who sent this army against you. Some of you have been walking in the desert. Some of you have been living with the locusts. You made the decisions. You lived without God. You pretended he wasn't there. You made yourself Lord. You called all the shots. And the decisions you made have destroyed lots of things in your life. It's been crop failure. The locusts have taken it. And you thought, well, what are we going to do? Whatever will be, will be. Sera, sera. Guess we'll Guess we'll just make the best of it. Make the best of it. Look what you already made. You need a promise from God. You need to turn back to him. And you need to hear him say, I will restore. You got to come back. You may feel like you've been staggered for a long period of time by the consequences of your own sinful choices. The locusts haven't destroyed one of your harvests. They've decimated a bunch of them. Where can you go in the world and hear a message like this that says, even though you've really messed it all up, God can clean it all up? Is the news telling you that? Are the politicians telling you that? Are your teachers telling you that? Charles Haddon Spurgeon, mercy this quote. Because God is the living God, he can hear. Because he's a loving God, he will hear. God can and he will hear the cry of people who say, the locust came I invited them. They wiped me out. Where's the hope? Finally today, how should I apply this to my life? Why should I love this promise? I should love this promise, number one, because of what it teaches about God's character. And here's what it teaches about God's character. His last words, never judgment, it's always salvation. Look, if you have breath in your lungs, it's not too late. And you can come to him, and Jesus said in John 6, 37, whoever comes to me, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. No one's ever repented before God, regretted their past, asked God for forgiveness, and had God say, nope, you're not worthy. Jesus won't turn you away. His last word's never judgment. His last word's never the locust. His last word is always, I will restore. And the second reason you should love this promise is what it teaches about my past, which is I don't have to be imprisoned by my foolish choices and my sinful actions. You don't have to stay there. So come be prayed for today. He's a living God, he can hear you. And he's a loving God, he will hear you. At the end of this service, we're gonna dismiss. And when we dismiss, that's when you can receive this restoration. When people walk that way, you walk this way. Come and be prayed for. Let's bow for prayer today. Thank you, God, for how you restore. Do it mightily for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, Hey, if you're online, before you log off, don't forget to fill out that ministry card at gccob.com slash card. Love to know you're watching. Love to pray for you. Everyone else, go ahead and finish up your ministry card. Put a prayer request on. We have lots of uh, 29 days of promise books. If you want to jump in, it's not too late. Go ahead and do that. Um, We're going to go ahead and finish the service through prayer ministry. So if you're on the prayer ministry team this morning, go ahead and come
2: forward. Everyone else, you're welcome to stand up. Get situated. Get all your stuff. Like I said, you can put these cards on the metal boxes in the back as you exit. Um, Hey, uh, you
6: are dismissed. Come receive prayer this morning.